Sometimes, God asks us to do things that don't always make sense. Some things simply go against our social conditioning and honestly may just seem a bit weird. People may feel sorry for someone trying to obey the word of God and claim they are in some sort of spiritual bondage or oppression. It would be easy to assume someone may be holding to the letter of the law and not the spirit of the law, legalism. Well, on this episode, we are going to talk about a controversial subject in modern Christianity, the head covering. We appreciate you listening and hope you enjoyed today's discussion. Hey, everyone. Welcome to By Our Love podcast. This is Charlton and Natasha. We are a large Christian family living abroad in East Africa, and we would like to invite you along on our journey of faith, hope, and love. On this podcast, we're going to be discussing our Christian walk, kingdom convictions, discipleship, and church planting, as well as international adoption, the ins and outs of daily life as a family of 12, and inviting on special guests that motivate and inspire us. We hope to be a source of encouragement and challenge the status quo. Thanks for joining us. covering does seem to be a hot topic in modern Christianity and a controversial one, as you said already, Natasha. And why do you think that it is a bit of a controversial matter for many Christians today? Yeah, I think that's a really great question, Charlton. Um, with probably many different answers, a few that come to my mind is, uh, Maybe many consider this to be a topic of low priority in the grand scheme of things, um, that it simply just does not apply to us today. This was something for the church in Corinth, not for modern Christianity. Another thought is that some may see it as a misogynistic practice, something that's degrading to women. Also, it's not really cool. Like, it's not a trendy thing to do. Maybe you think it will make you look frumpy or stand out too much. And, you know, we certainly don't want that. So, I, I don't know. I think that those are just kind of some of the thoughts that, that people may have and prejudice that, that we have looking at this subject. Um, those are my thoughts. I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, I agree with you. I think that one of the challenges in the church today is that a lot of these uncomfortable passages, these um, hard teachings, the things that make us really stand out from maybe our own family or the people that we work with or school in our various social settings, um, it's, it's uncomfortable to be the one that's different and standing out. 
And I think one of the things we need to realize is that there is a culture within the kingdom of God that we as Christians are called to. And I'm hoping today to kind of lay out a bit of a biblical framework, uh, a way to look at the scriptures, and we'll jump into that right now. And after that, Natasha, it'd be great if you could share your journey with the head covering and uh, the things that years ago uh, you and I wrestled with and what brought us to some of the, those conclusions uh, that we are at today. Yeah, that sounds good. So before we go to the actual text in 1 Corinthians 11, it's good to lay a little bit of a foundation, if you will. One of the things I want to tackle is something that I actually hear quite a bit from others that maybe look at us and the things that we practice, uh, the way that we try to live out the things that we see in Scripture, specifically the teachings of Jesus and uh, the traditions that have been handed down by the apostolic teachings And one of the things that's thrown out there is um, we don't understand the spirit of the law, that the the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. And so I I actually want to go to that passage first, and it's in 2 Corinthians, and it starts right there in verse 1. It says, Do we begin again to commend ourselves, or do we need, as some others, epistles of commendation to you or letters of commendation from you? You are our epistles, written in our hearts, known and read by all men. Clearly, you are an epistle of Christ, ministered by us, written not with ink, but by the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of flesh, that is, the heart. And so right there, starting out, we see that What Paul's talking about is the lives that these new covenant churches, these new covenant believers are living in Jesus. The way that they're living is an actual epistle. It's an actual letter. It's a witness to the world around them. And so he begins, or he continues in verse 4 and says, And we have such trust through Christ toward God, not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think of anything as being from ourselves, but our sufficiency is from God who also made us sufficient as ministers of the new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. So here's where this famous saying comes from, but so many times it's actually completely uh, twisted and taken out of its context. And as Paul continues uh, here in 2 Corinthians 3, he's contrasting the Mosaic law with uh, the sufficiency and the supremacy of the new covenant law that comes through Jesus Christ and what it means to actually live out the things that Jesus taught and how that is written not on tablets of stone like it was for them, but rather on our heart. And so if we think about that, so the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. And so, so many times, um, I, I can't even think how many times I've heard people uh, say that literal obedience to Jesus is Phariseeism or legalism. Uh, but if we actually turn over, so keep in, keep in your mind there that uh, what Paul says, that the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. And, and what is the Spirit of the New Covenant? And if you turn over in John chapter 6, uh, there's this great teaching by Jesus where he astonishes the crowds around him. And in verse 63, Jesus specifically says, It is the Spirit who gives life. 
the flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you are spirit, and they are life. So right there, we see in the new covenant that the spirit of the law are the actual things that Jesus says, the things that he teaches, the laws of God's kingdom that he delivers to the new humanity that finds its identity in him. And so keep that in your mind as we continue to go through this. Let's look at 1 Corinthians now. And it's important to start at the beginning, understanding that this is a letter that is written to a church. I think one of the helpful tools that we have today with everything being in chapters and verses uh, is a great tool to help us uh, quickly turn to passages and uh, be able to start reading at the same place at the same time as somebody else. Uh, However, what that has also done is I think it's removed the actual understanding that this was a complete letter written to a group of people, specifically the church at Corinth here. And it wasn't until the 13th and 16th century that we really start getting into these chapter and verse additions into the scriptures. So just um, remember that as you're reading that these epistles, these letters that are written, is a complete letter. So we need to understand it in its totality and not just um, taking out passages here or there the way that we want to. And if you start at the opening, the introduction here, it says, Paul called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God and Sothens, our brother, to the church of God, which is at Corinth. So right there, we know the audience is the church of Corinth. Then he goes on to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints with all who in every place call on the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, both theirs and ours. So right here, Paul obviously has in mind specifically Corinth and any and all who would call on the name of the Lord. So he has addressed his teaching in this letter uh, to Christians. One more thing that is important to take note of, especially in this uh, first letter to the church at Corinth, is that Paul will make a distinction at times when he's giving his opinion, uh, specifically if you read chapter 7. He'll go back and forth, he'll say, uh, now this is a command of the Lord, and yet um, the Lord, not I, or he'll say, now this I say or I command, but it's not a command of the Lord, and I think it's good, and he'll give his advice as one worthy uh, for the gospel and for the sake of Christ to speak uh, from a place of authority. So it's important to note that Paul will make that distinction throughout this letter when he's speaking, but there's an important verse here towards the end of Corinthians, and it's in chapter 14 when he's talking about various giftings. This is after the love chapter. He talks about the order and worship, um, the women's role in regards to the gathering of the saints and the church, uh, learning and submission and silence. And in, in the midst of all of this, he makes a very bold statement that I think we have to pay attention to within the whole context of the entirety of, of this letter. And in, in chapter 14, verse 37, he says, If anyone thinks himself to be a prophet or spiritual, let him acknowledge that the things which I write to you are the commandments of the Lord. But if anyone is ignorant, let him be ignorant. 
So Paul's making a pretty bold claim here that the things that he's writing, the things that he's instructing, the traditions he's handing down, aren't something that he's making up on his own, but rather they are the commandments of Jesus, as he says here. And so we need to uh, keep that in focus as we look at these teachings, especially these uncomfortable ones in our day, in our society, about the head covering. So with that, let's go ahead and read. I'm going to ask Natasha, will you please read 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1 through 16? Yes, certainly. All right. Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. I commend you because you remember me in everything and maintain the traditions just as I handed them on to you. But I want you to understand that Christ is the head of every man, and the husband is the head of his wife, and God is the head of Christ. Any man who prays or prophesies with something on his head disgraces his head, but any woman who prays or prophesies with her head unveiled disgraces her head. It is one and the same thing as having her head shaved. For if a woman will not veil herself, then she should cut off her hair. But if it is disgraceful for a woman to have her hair cut off or be shaved, she should wear a veil. For a man ought not to have his head veiled, since he is the image and reflection of God. But woman is the reflection of man. Indeed, man was not made from woman, but woman from man. Neither was man created for the sake of woman, but woman for the sake of man. For this reason, a woman ought to have a symbol of authority on her head, because of the angels. Nevertheless, in the Lord, woman is not independent of man, or man independent of woman. For just as woman came from man, so man comes through woman, but all things come from God. Judge for yourselves. Is it proper for a woman to pray to God with her head unveiled? Does not nature itself teach you that if a man wears long hair, it is degrading to him? But if a woman has long hair, it is her glory. For her hair is given to her for a covering. But if anyone is disposed to be contentious, we have no such custom, nor do the churches of God. Thank you, Natasha. In case you're curious, that is from the NRSV. The reason I actually like that translation is it does a really good job distinguishing the different Greek words that are being used. Uh, In a lot of English translations, it's using cover and covering, um, her hair being a covering and all of that, and it's using one English word as cover or covering, whereas in the Greek, uh, there is a distinction. They're using different terms, different words there, and the NRSV does a good job in capturing that, so I I respect that um, specific passage in the way in which it was translated there, catching that, the essence of that from the Greek. So as we see here, uh, Paul is basing his arguments in constants. He's dealing with nature, he's dealing with angels, he's dealing with headship. And As Natasha mentioned earlier, uh, some people could view this as being misogynistic in some form or fashion. Um, That is not at all the case. 
uh, when we look at uh, biblical submission, submission to one another, um, submission in the church, uh, uh, wives submitting to husbands, the factor of submission in the context of Christianity is the same discussion that we have to have as we talk about how Christ submits to his Father, as Jesus is in submission to the Father and his will, and how that is actually a beautiful thing uh, and something that is to be working in harmony, uh, like a symphony playing together is the same way that we should think about um, the, the role and submission of women uh, and men within the church, within families, is that they are uh, something to be, uh, something that is working in harmony together to create that which is beautiful, not at all anything that is to put down one or the other. And Paul makes that clear. He makes the um, the he sees the differences between the two sexes, male and female, but then he also talks about the interdependence of of them, talking about how, um, nevertheless, neither is man independent of woman, nor woman independent of man. For as woman came from man, even so also uh, man also comes through woman, but all things are from God. The interesting thing about this teaching here that Paul is giving uh, specifically in this letter to the Corinthians, is that the scandal is not about the woman needing to be covered. Actually, it's the opposite. Uh, it was the men not being covered. That was actually a very common thing in the first century. If you go and look at many pictures of even uh, even the pagans, Caesar and, and others offering up some some sort of spiritual sacrifice, and the majority of the time you're going to see them with their heads being veiled or some form of a covering. And if we think about even a lot of religions, even to this day, uh, Islam, Judaism, others uh, have this practice within themselves where men are actually covering themselves. And so Paul is is actually in uh, making a distinction that for Christians, uh, with Christ being the head of man, we do not need to be covering ourselves, and then moves into his argumentation about why a woman needs an external veil, this symbol of authority, as he calls it, uh, to be placed upon her head as a matter of modesty and submission and recognition of the creation order that uh, God has ordained. So it's important to also point out that Paul does not have different truths, different traditions that are for specific congregations uh, throughout the churches that he has planted or other apostles have planted. He doesn't have a, a truth or a teaching or tradition for the Corinthians and then going over to uh, Ephesus or any of the other uh, churches in Colossae, and giving them some form of a different doctrine or tradition. The church was unified in its practices, and I think we need to recognize that and admit that and understand Scripture from a point of totality in that regard. And in recognizing that, we also have the record of history for two millennia. This has not been a—this is something that the church has practiced. It is only a modern 
uh, argument uh, that of, of late that have come in where we have veered away from this teaching, we veered away from this practice as the church in modern history. Uh, there's writings from Tertullian and others. Tertullian was in uh, North Carthage in Africa, and he's talking about the veiling of virgins and, and the veiling, uh, the practice of veiling in um, the various congregations that he has uh, seen. Clement of Alexandria talking about Arabia and different places. So this was, uh, from a historical standpoint, this was a common practice throughout the churches. And so as we look through here, the things that uh, Paul's beginning with. First, he, as we mentioned, he, he talks about um, tradition that has been handed down. I praise you, brethren, that you remember me in all things and keep the traditions just as I deliver them to you. And he goes into talking about the headship, the creation order, which we've already mentioned. He then moves into giving the instruction, men not to cover, and that a woman should be covered. She should be wearing an external veil. And one of the things he says is because of the angels. Uh, This can be a very confusing passage. Uh, The early church, I think, uh, clarifies this, uh, as well as many other writings, as we understand from Genesis 6, where the sons of God come down uh, and mate with the daughters of men, and that whole event of Genesis 6 that unfolds um, where violence begins to fill the earth, which ultimately brings about the flood and the story of Noah. Uh, this major event is uh, what this is uh, referencing. So Paul having that story in view is what is informing his reasoning here about the importance, the significance, the reason why a woman should have this symbol of authority, this external veil upon her head in recognition of God's creation order. So when you get to the portion about nature, doth not nature itself teach you that women should have long hair and men should have short hair, there is some podcasts I've been listening to lately, and uh, there's actually a very predominant understanding or theory that's being put out there in the academic world, uh, and it's basing its argumentation about Paul's usage of nature here, or the reason he's appealing to nature here, and it's talking about the ancient medicine, um, or at least the ancient world in the first century, their understanding of science and medicine uh, at that point in time, and begins to build a case or an argument, if you will, as to this being the basis for Paul uh, explaining the importance of uh, a woman having an external covering, uh, mainly because they the understanding in the ancient world was that hair, the hair follicles and all of that had to do with the reproductive systems of both men and women. And so if that is the case, Um, in their understanding, then it would make sense for Paul to tell them, definitely, you should be covered, to cover those things up. Those things that would be viewed as inappropriate and immodest would definitely need to be covered up. Uh, Now, the only problem with this, it's something I'm still looking at and studying out. We don't have all the answers here. 
it's only one piece of the puzzle. It's only one leg of the table um, because Paul is appealing to so many things here for his reasoning. One, the headship, which is a constant, right? Going back to um, maybe a question that some of you have, well, when should women veil? When, sh- when do they need to? When don't they, they need to? And, and there's some, some thoughts and different opinions on this. Is it only during praying and prophesying? Uh, is it something that should be worn all of the time? Um, I would tend to lean towards it's something that is practiced and done all of the time or the majority of the time because um, because Paul is dealing with constants such as headship, such as uh, the angels and authority and submission. And, and so there's constants uh, that are there. Um, there's the passages that talk about, you know, praying without ceasing and things like that. Um, but there is some uh, dispute, and, and obviously he says there most definitely uh, in praying and in prophesying. And so if we take all that together, um, I think there is enough to say that, you know, that argument alone does not take away from all of the other elements of the passage as we, we look at it. So the last thing that I want to point out, because we could continue to go on and on about this, there's so many different things and, and directions we could go and talking about the, the head covering, but uh, the last element is the very last verse there in verse 16 um, that seems to be a bit confusing. That says that if anyone seems to be contentious, we have no such custom, nor do the churches of God. Now, I've talked to a lot of people, and this seems to confuse them a little bit um, because it seems like Paul's just basically saying, well, ultimately, if, you know, if it's, if it's a sticky issue and it's, you know, then it's okay. Nobody, none of the other churches have this practice anyway. I'm only speaking this to you. Um, that just doesn't make sense why he would spend so much time here giving the reasoning, the argument why men should not cover their heads and why women should cover their heads uh, just to say, well, ultimately, if you don't want to do it and people can't get along about it, then don't worry about it, because that's not what he's saying. Actually, uh, if we if we slow down, we take the argument, and then at the end, it makes a lot of sense that if anyone seems to be contentious about this, like we don't have that practice. We as the church, as uh, the body of believers, we are unified in the things that we, we do. Um, so if someone's going to have a contentious spirit, they're going to push back on the traditions, on the things that have been handed down, the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints, and they want to argue about these things, we don't do that in the church. We don't have that kind of practice, nor do any of the churches of God. And so uh, to me, that makes the most sense and flows with the entirety of what's being put forth here. So now, Natasha, why don't you share some of your head covering journey? All right. Thank you. Um, Like Charlton said, this is a very deep subject, and there are many different thought processes and rabbit trails to go down. Um, But I hope that this was enlightening and helpful. And if there is any questions, please send us a message and we can always do another episode of head covering. Another thought that we had was doing kind of a roundtable discussion with um, some sisters, Uh, some of our Ugandan sisters, some women who have been covering grew up in homes that covered and um, 
also women who haven't and just our experience. So that's something that we're throwing around as well. Well, I would like to start, I guess, uh, just a short testimony on the head covering by reading a quote from a book called Glory Seen and Unseen by Warren Henderson. And this is a really great book. And it's a good resource. And it's actually something I came across after I started covering. So if you have not read this book and you are interested in the head covering, I think it's a great place to start. To God be the glory. The glory of God is witnessed in creation, in the regeneration of lost souls, and in miracles which confound the laws of science and human reasoning. Therefore, his glory illuminates each and every page of scripture. God's glory serves as a beacon for all humanity to consider who he is, rather than just what he does. To this end, Scripture supplies man with incredible insight into the character and attributes of God, thus ensuring our respect and reverence. The outshining of God's essence beckons us to consider our own frail existence and our accountability to Him with whom we have to do. His glory is paramount in all things in all places, and for all time and eternity. So I just love the way that um, Warren Henderson kind of summed that up. It's all about God's glory. It's not about us. It's not about me. I was a very selfish person. I thought about myself too much. I thought about what I looked like too much. I spent a lot of money and time, quite honestly, on things that don't matter. So growing up, like Charlton said, we uh, both grew up in the church, but we were not in any circles where women covered. Occasionally, I would see somebody with a head covering on, but I didn't give it much thought. Um, it just, it really didn't hit my radar at all. As I got older, I put a lot of importance on my looks. I would spend a lot of time applying makeup every single day. I did not leave the house without makeup on and do my hair. I spent so much money getting my hair done, colored, cut, styled, and also clothes, um, making sure that I looked nice. That was really important to me. And on Sunday mornings when I would go to church, I would make sure that I looked nice. I had to have my hair nice and makeup and clothes. And to me, that was important. And when I really sat down and God started chipping away at my selfishness, he started chipping away at self, I realized that I was wanting people to look at me. I was wanting people to think well of me, that I'm put together, that I look nice. That's what I wanted. I was wanting that glory, glory that belonged to God. And on Sunday, when I was going to worship, I was not as concerned about all glory going to God as I was myself and when I realized that, things just 
had to change. I couldn't keep going in the direction that I was going. And this is a very sensitive subject, I know, because I was there. Like this was, this was my life. I think for a lot of women, we grow up thinking that who we are is based on what we look like. And that's wrong. Like that is a lie that I believed for so long. And who we are is not what we look like on the outside. It's who we are on the inside. Just like Proverbs 31.30 says, Charm is deceitful and beauty is passing, but a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. So as God was making these changes in me and I started realizing that beauty is fleeting, who I am is not what people see on the outside, I should be more focused on fearing the Lord, on glorifying Him, on meditating on His beauty, on His righteousness, hungering and thirsting after Him in His righteousness. And when that started happening, things started changing, and I cared less and less about impressing other people. I cared less and less about what other people thought about me. And that was a big deal to me. And occasionally I still fall in that trap of, of looking to others for my self-worth, of concerning myself with what others are thinking about me rather than what does God think about me? Because ultimately that is what I care about. I care about my father and I want to please him. So everything I started to do was out of love for God. And that is it. Just love. And so I hope that this does not come across as any sort of spiritual superiority that I have. Um, But I can honestly say that for myself and my dear sisters, we cover because we love God. And I really feel that it is a humble recognition of God's creation order. And when this was first brought to my attention about the head covering, I really tried to run from it. I was like, you've got to be kidding me, really? And um, I think I read 1 Corinthians 11 like 10 times. And I was just very surprised that I had never thought about that before or come across it. And then I would look at that and some early church writings and kind of go back and forth and I just knew that this is what I need to do. And it was a very, at first, scary change, covering, and I started dressing more modestly. And I was the only woman in my church that covered. And initially, I just did it during during worship. Um, I had a scarf around my neck, and I would kind of put it up over my head and then take it back down. I was so new to everything, and I had really no one around me I could talk to about it. And over over the years, things have changed, and I think that I've come to a deeper understanding of the spiritual truth and a maturity. Um, but at the time, that is what I did, and I was just gung-ho for God. And I still am. It just doesn't feel quite as, as radical as it did then. I think I've kind of I've kind of mellowed into into things uh, at this point, if that even makes sense. 
One passage that I'd like to share that really stood out to me at that time was in Isaiah 6. So I'm going to go ahead and read that. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above it stood seraphim. Each one had six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. To me, that passage is incredible. I mean, it's incredible. We see the seraphim, and they are covering themselves covering themselves in the presence of God. They are taking their wings and covering their face and they're taking their wings and covering their feet because his glory is so great and he's so amazing and spectacular. And and they just, out of respect and awe, they are shielding themselves from the divine glory of God. And so, I don't know, If the angels can bow before God, I think we can. And if they can cover themselves in the presence of God, I think we can and should. It's just, to me, it's incredible. And I just love that passage so much. And I know I'm getting excited about it. But it just, like reading that completely just changed things for me. And then... um, the passage in Corinthians about the angels, like that was so intriguing to me as well. Because of the angels, that led me down a really big study on like, what does this mean because of the angels? Because of the angels, that's not cultural. What does that mean? And there's a lot of different thoughts and Charlton already touched on that a little bit. But one train of thought that I really like is by a man named Watchman Nee. And if you have not heard about him, he is a martyr for Christ, a Chinese man. He actually died in the 70s after being in a labor camp for 20 years in prison for his faith. Um, So I would like to read a quote from him. Today, woman has a sign of authority on her head because of the angels. That is a testimony to the angels. Only the sisters in the church can testify to this, for the women of the world know nothing of it. Today, when the sisters have the sign of authority on their heads, they bear the testimony that I have covered my head so that I do not have my own head, for I do not seek to be head. My head is veiled, and I have accepted man as head. And to accept man as head means that I have accepted Christ as head and God as head. But some of you angels have rebelled against God. This is what it meant because of the angels. I have on my head a sign of authority. I am a woman with my head covered. This is a most excellent testimony to the angels, to the fallen and to the unfallen ones. No wonder Satan persistently opposes the matter of head covering. It really puts him to shame. We are doing what he has failed to do. What God did not receive from the angels, he now has from the church. 
I love that. I think it is so beautiful and so true. And it is such an honor. I don't see wearing a head covering as bondage. I actually see the way that I lived before as bondage, looking to society to tell me what's beautiful and that I'm not good enough if I don't wear certain clothes or do my makeup a certain way or have my hair styled. I was in serious bondage to what people thought about me and wanting to put out a a certain image. And I know that's not a hole that everybody falls in, but, but that's where I was at. And I have such freedom. I have freedom in Christ and I know that I'm loved and I know that I'm beautiful. Beauty really does come from the inside out and there is something catching eye-catching about a woman at peace in Christ. So I would just encourage my sisters out there that your obedience will challenge others. And the society that we live in is very self-promoting. And to challenge that and to submit to God, especially in this culture, is amazing and beautiful and it takes bravery so you are doing a great job and if you are a sister who is not currently covering but you are prayerfully seeking out the way forward on this subject I just want to encourage you to keep going keep having discussions talk to your husband talk to friends um, keep studying it out I, I know it's it's not easy but it is so worth it Well, amen to all of that. And like you said, you know, it's a matter of doing these things because you love God and want to serve him and want to please him. And I really like the quote that you shared from Watchman Nee there. And I think that's an important factor that a lot of times we miss out on or or we get so stuck in the physical. Like we look at everything from this, this one dimension or this one plane of the natural and the physical and not realizing that some of these subtle things, something uh, what may seem as simple as a head covering uh, with the passage because of the angels, that we have the ability as the church to not only be an epistle, not only be a witness and a testimony to the world around us, to other human beings, but we are also a testimony and a witness to all of creation and even into the unseen realm and the heavenly places. And Paul highlights this in many places, but specifically in Ephesians 3, he says, to the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and the powers in the heavenly places according to the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in him. And so I hope that that can be an encouragement to us and even those, as Natasha said, that are maybe wrestling through this matter that we have boldness and confidence and that we are not only a witness and a testimony to those around us, our neighbors, our family, our friends, but we also have the opportunity, the ability, and the duty to be a testimony to those who sit in the heavenly places and the angels and the authorities and the principalities that God has ordained. I hope that today has uh, been an interesting episode to listen to. 
Uh, as mentioned, we hope to discuss this matter a little bit more, maybe bring on some other guests that can talk about their experience uh, in the circles that they grew up in and also other women who maybe didn't grow up in a setting uh, where covering was normal and have come to those convictions and conclusions and that that can, can be something that can challenge and encourage you. So if you would like to connect with us, you can do so at podcast by our love on Instagram, or you can also send us an email. If you have topics and ideas or questions, comments, please feel free to reach out to us. You can do so by emailing us at byourlovepodcast at gmail.com. Have a blessed day.